The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, case. All right, everybody, welcome on back to Baseball History One On One. On this episode, we're going to talk about, about one of the fastest men alive. Mm-hmm. It's the 2009 Hall of Fame class, The Man of Steel. Mr. Ricky Henderson, and I'm going to let uh, Matthew introduce him to you. All right, so Ricky was born on December 25th, 1958 in Chicago, Illinois. Illinois, Illinois, and interesting about Ricky, he was born in the backseat of an Oldsmobile on the way to the hospital. So his parents were on the way to the hospital, and he just couldn't wait to get out. He couldn't wait to get to the hospital to get out, so... In the back of the Oldsmobile, he came out. And Ray, Ricky later joked, I was already fast. I couldn't wait. <laughs> right out of the, you know. And his real name was Ricky Nelson Henley. And he was named after the singer slash actor Ricky Nelson, who was on uh, his parents' show, Ozzy and Harriet. And he was also a famous singer with the song Garden Party, among other things. And so that his real name is not Ricky Henderson. It was Ricky Nelson Henley. And his parents were John L. Henley and Bobby Henley. But when Ricky was two years old, his dad left the family. He left home. And his family moved to Oakland, California when he was seven. So he grew up even though so he grew up in Oakland. He may have been born in Chicago, but he grew up in Oakland. And I guess he would consider himself, you know, an Oakland native. As well, you know, and his real dad died in an automobile accident, you know, 10 years after leaving home. So Ricky was probably like 12 when his dad passed away. His real dad passed away. And his mom remarried a guy named Paul Henderson during Ricky's junior year of high school. And the family adopted the Henderson surname. So that's where he got Henderson. And, you know, as a child, he learned to play baseball in Oakland. You know, he developed the ability to bat right-handed, although he was naturally left-handed thrower, which is a rare combination. You know, you don't get a lot of righty, bat right, throw left kind of guys. Like Randy Johnson comes to mind as somebody who bat who batted right and threw left, but you just that's just a rare, you know, it's very rare to for guys to do that, for players to do that in baseball. Don't you think, Patrick? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Very rare. That's- most of them that do do it are also switch hitters. Yeah. So in the entire history of Major League Baseball through the 2008 season, only 57 position players are known to have batted right and thrown left. And of course, his Henderson is out of the 57. He's the most successful to do so, and well known. And you know, for a reason for this, Ricky said, "All of my friends were right-handed and swung from the right side, so I thought that's the way it's supposed to be done." So you know. By by sheer will, he learned how to bat right-handed. Right. You know, which, you know. And part of that might be his friends are right-handed, so they can hit some pointers, but it's 
I guess to cross over maybe, you know, just learned it. Yeah. And in 76, he graduated from high school, Oakland Tech High School, where not only did he play baseball, but he also played basketball and football. And he was a very good football. He was an All-American running back with a pair of 1,000-yard rushing seasons. Stout in high school. Yeah. And he also played track. He also ran track, but he didn't stay with the team as – he didn't stay with the team because it's the schedule conflicted with baseball. So it's like, well, baseball is your strong your strong suit. You might as well stick with baseball. So I think that was a wise choice that Ricky did. But think about it. If he, stick, if, you know, if he didn't do baseball and did track, he could have made the Olympics. If he stuck with it, he could have made the Olympics. Yeah, but, awesome. then, yeah. but then again, he, we wouldn't be talking about it on this podcast if that happened, you know. <laughs> he wouldn't be the most electrifying man to ever still face either. Right. Yeah, you know, this is not an Olympics or a track podcast. It's a baseball podcast. I like to think of Ricky as the Deion Sanders of baseball. I can see that. Because Deion Sanders, everybody who's more is the football guy. He did play baseball. Yeah. But he's like the full-time Deion Sanders of baseball. Yeah. And, you know, Deion's in the, hall of fame, in the pro football hall of fame. Yeah. And so... Because he was also very good at football, he received over a dozen scholarship offers to play football. Even though it was his dream to play, his childhood dream was to play for the Oakland Raiders, you know, the hometown team. He turned down the scholarships on the advice of his mother, who argued that football players had shorter careers, which she's right. She absolutely is right. Very, I have no dispute with what his mother told him. Right. I mean, you know, yeah, you'll have guys like, You'll have rare guys like Tom Brady who will go like 20 seasons, but... He's not you. You know, Tom Brady's just a different animal. And so he got drafted in 76, in the 76 MLB draft. The Oakland A's drafted him in the fourth round. And in the minor leagues, you know, he started out with the Boise A's in the Northwest League, which was a short-seasoned ace, A league. And he, in 46 games, he batted three thirty six and hit three home runs and two triples. He did well, you know. And then the next season, he spent with the Modesto A's of the California League, which is a long, you know, regular season single A league. Yeah, he had a decent average there. He improved from three thirty six to three forty five in one hundred thirty four games, and along with his teammate Daryl Woodard, well, let's make sure. Yeah, he yeah, nearly, that's where they found the speed at. Yeah, that's where the speed got going. He nearly broke. Uh, the the league record for team stolen ba- for team stolen bases, the A's finished the Modesto A's finished the season with three hundred fifty seven stolen bases, which was just shy of the league record three hundred seventy. So they stole a whole bunch of bases in Modesto in seventy seven. You know, now Woodard well Woodard tied the single season player record with ninety stolen bases. Henderson beat the record by stealing ninety five. That's that's awesome. That stolen base count got him the MVP award. Yeah. Which was, which at the time is known as the Sundial Trophy, which is, yeah, Modesto A's MVP player. Yeah, the Sundial Trophy. So that's cool. And then the next year, in 78, he was in double A with the Jersey City A's in Jersey City, New Jersey for the Eastern League. And it doesn't really say much of his statistics, but after the double A season, he played in the winter ball in Mexico for the. Nahavoa Mayos of the Mexican Pacific League. Even though he only played six games, he only played six games with the team, and the team won the championship, which was their first in the Mexican Pacific League. So in the six games, he was impactful. He helped the team win the championship, even though it was very brief. And then to start the 79 season, 
He's in AAA with the Pacific Coast League of the, the Ogden A's in Ogden, Utah, of the Pacific Coast League. And in 71 games, he batted 309, still 44 bases. But 79 was the year he got called up to the Oakland A's, right? And he made his debut on June 24th of 79, and he went two for four with a stolen base. And he finished the season in 89 games, he batted 274 with 33 stolen bases. So a very respectable rookie season. Maybe not rookie of the year, but a very respectable, you know, rookie season. Like you're seeing, okay, this guy, he's got some promise. You know, these are respectable numbers. It doesn't look like he's phased by major league pitching. You know, he could play. And then the next year, 1980, which was Charlie Finley's last year as owner of the A's, Henderson really broke out. He stole 100 bases that season. First person to do it since Maury Wills in 62. which and Oh, I'm sorry. But the first person to do it since Lou Brock in 74, 118, and then Maury Wills did it in 62, 104. Yeah, and it was a um, franchise record. They took him a guy named Andy Collins. Right, who's in the Hall of Fame and played for the Philadelphia A's. You know, I mean, he stole 81 bases in 1910. So, and... Of course, this set a new American League record because even though Maury Wills passed Ty Cobb in 1962, that was for the Major League record. Cobb still had the American League record with 96 in 1915, and then Ricky broke that easily in 1980. And he also batted 30, you know, 303 and scored 111 runs, had 179 hits, and drew 117 walks. It had a 420 on base percentage. 100 steals absurd. What was the league leader last year? The Major League Baseball leader in steals last season was Starling Marte of both the Marlins and the Oakland A's, and he led the league with 47 steals. And Ricky had over 100 in the season. Yeah. That's just an astronomical, impressive statistic. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and of course, you know, during the dead ball era, stealing was more emphasized than it was in Ricky's time. You know, back then, unless you were Ricky, and then, you know, maybe some other, like Vince Coleman of the Cardinals in the 80s later on, a lot of people just didn't steal bases. You know, there wasn't a big emphasis on stolen bases. But Ricky brought that back easily in 1980. <laughs> yeah. Also, 1980 was the year that Billy Barton was, became the manager of the Oakland A's. You know, one of his non-Yankee uh, tenures as manager – and yeah, he was he was the Yankee savior. Yeah, for a second. And there's a video. There's like an hour long video on start on YouTube on the channel called Stark Raving Sports. I would recommend it. I, I, I remember it's it something about Ricky Henderson, but it's an hour an hour movie uh, hour video on Ricky Henderson and it talks about how when Billy Martin became the manager, you know he let Ricky just steal and Ricky just loved playing for Billy Martin. So, green light kind green of light. situation. Yeah. And so if you ever had the chance to watch, if you have an hour to spare, go watch that video on Stark Raving Sports about Ricky Anderson because I would highly recommend it. It's really good. Talk goes about goes in very in-depth detail about his baseball career. So and um so yeah, that was Ricky's coming out season, nineteen eighty. You know, just bam, hundred steals. You go from thirty-three in your first year, play you know not a full season because coming just, out season. 
This is coming out season, 1980. Yeah, it's a, a Hall of Fame season, and it's his coming out season. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, he made he made the baseball world aware of who he was that year. People are like, "Whoa, who's this Ricky Henderson guy?" I wasn't able to find his 40 or 60 time anywhere. I haven't found it anywhere. I don't know. But I'm curious about that. Be that quick off the jump. Yeah, and so in that winter, he played uh, winter ball in Puerto Rico. And he stole 42 bases in the, in the Puerto Rican Professional Baseball League. And it broke the league's record. His 42 stolen bases broke the league's record, which it doesn't say what it was. But still, it's like, you know, the dude was just great, you know. And then 81. So, of course, as we discussed in previous episodes, 1981 was the, sh- the strike-shortened season. Because, you know, they went on strike in the middle of the season. They had to play two halves and all that. So that was a strike short season. And even though, you know, Ricky only played. So that season, because it was a shortened season, he only played in 108 games. But he still led the American League in runs scored with 89 and hits with 135. And also in steals with 56. So even in. 108 games, he still managed to steal over 50 bases. If he had a full season, he would probably would have gotten 100 steals again. But he also led the league in caught steals with 22, which, you know, when you're the all-time... When you're, when the you're stealing a ton, you're going to get caught some. Yeah, it's just going to happen. It's yeah. like Harmon Harris getting struck out. It's going to happen. Yeah, and he hit 319 that year, so he was very valuable for the A's, you know. And they made the playoffs that year. Which and he was, was second, second in the league and just getting on base. His OBP was absurd. So. Yeah. And just, you know, he, he still – he was very productive in 81 for the Oakland A's. And um, – This is during the Billy Ball era too. Right. This is Billy Martin's second season. And they made the playoffs that year. They went six, in the shortened season. They went sixty-four and forty-five. And they finished first place in the L West, right? And then they won. So and they won the division series against the Kansas City Royals three straight. And then in the ALCS, the championship, they lost to the Yankees three in three straight, which we talked about in the Steinbrenner episode and other things. So. <clears throat> this was good for the A's because after the 75 season, this was the first time they made the playoffs in 75, which they, when they got swept by the Red Sox. And, you know, they were bad. I mean, after the after the breakup of the Oakland A's dynasty in the early 70s, because Charlie Finley just could not compete with the free agency, this was good. You know, the new ownership, they're, they're, they're more committed. They have money to compete with free agency. And they got Ricky and, you know, they got Billy Martin and it's all good because they made the playoffs for the first time in six years. So it was a good season. And then 1982 rolls around and, oh, man, 82, you know, you think 100 steals in 80 was something else? 82, he had 84 at the break. He had 84 steals at the All-Star break. And that's, just, that's, that's insane. Bananas. <laughs> that's mind-blowing. You can't, you know, and he finished the season. You can't do that on the show. No, you can't do that on MLB the show. I guess. (laughs) That's insane. And so he led the American League 
as well as all major leagues in steals that season, 1982, with 130 steals. That's and that's the record for the most steals in the season is 130. You know, he just shattered Maury Wills's. No, I'm sorry. He shattered shattered Lou Brock's single season steals record in 74 with 118. Here's a cool fact about 1982. He took 84 by the break. Nobody has stolen 84 in an entire season since. This is what he had at the break. The only person that has stolen more since 1982 by the break is Ricky himself in 93. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, he stole more at the break than anybody else has stolen in an entire season since. Yeah. I mean, that's just nuts. It's, it's Ricky, man. And, of course... As usual, he also led the league in caught steals of 42. But again, when you're stealing that much, it's going to happen. You know, you know, 130 out of 172 attempts, that's damn impressive. Best know? poker player that win every hand. I know. And he led, He also led the league in in uh, walks with 116. He was a very picky hitter to play. He knew how to get on base. Yeah. I mean, he. And I think that's a big part of why he had so many steal opportunities. Because I think it was 81 or 80, he was also near the top of the league in walks. Yeah. I mean, I think about it, like, he only hit 267 in 82, but his walks got him on base as well as his 143 hits. You know, he found ways to get on base. And, like, you know, he was hit by a pitch. He was only hit by a pitch twice in that season, too. Only twice. You know, so great. Great plate discipline when it comes to walks, you know, and even mm-hmm. hits, even though he only hit 267, but still. 82, people were like, whoa, you stole how many bases? 130? Get yeah, out. his own base percentage is way better than that, too. Yeah. Two, uh, that, his own base percentage is 398, so, you know. Yeah. That's, so, just as many errors and walks, damn yeah. near as hits, so. And then 83, you know, he also leads the league again, steals with 108. This is the last time he stole 100 bases in a season. Yeah, it was a little prime there. Yeah, you know. Just, you know, he's just remarkable. And then 84, his last year in his first stint with Oakland, once again, he leads the league and steals with 66. I mean, still eye-popping. That's 66 steals is nothing to steal and sneeze at in a, in a season, you know? And this was his last year in his first stint with Oakland. He was traded to the Yankees in the offseason of 84, along with Burt Bradley for five players. The only ones that I recognized out of the five players was like Jose Rio, who played for the Reds later on in the, 90, the 1990 World Championship team. And, you know, 85, he's still good. He, he led the league in runs scored and stolen bases. He had 80 stolen bases and 146 runs scored. And he won the Silver Slugger Award that year. And he was third in MVP voting. But that season, he also hit 24 home runs. Right? Now, this one thing that gets overshadowed with Ricky Henderson. The dude had some power. You know, and this was his first season where he hit over 20 home runs. And then the next season, 86, he hit 28 home runs. And he also hit 28 home runs again in 1990. So that was the most home runs he hit in the season was 28. You know, 
He had some power. And there's something I want to circle back to that kind of leads to that. Um, there's a guy named Rudy Law, who was um, the Dodgers leadoff hitter. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in the league from 78 to 86 with the Dodgers, the White Sox, and the Royals. And he was also a big-time base dealer. Not to Ricky's number, but in 83, he stole 77 for the White Sox, which is their single-season record. Yeah. Um, Henderson adopted an exaggerated crouch in his stance. Mm-hmm. Which he, he he claims in a quote here. Uh, before I say that, a sports writer named Jim Murray described that strike zone when he found that new stance as smaller than Hitler's heart. <laughs> and that's a big part of his on-base percentage numbers. Yeah. And he adopted this in the 82 into 83 season. Yeah. Um, it's like I found if I squatted down real low at the plate, I could see it better. And I also knew it threw the pitcher off. I found that I could put my weight on my back foot and still turn my hips on the swing. I'm down so low, I don't have much of a strike zone. Sometimes walking so much even gets me mad. Last year, Ed Allard, the Angels, got so frustrated because the umpire was calling balls that were been strikes on anybody else that he stood up and shouted me, stand up and hit like a man. I guess I do that to people. Yeah. You know, so he knew what he was doing. He had a stance. He's all about getting on base and stealing sacks. Oh, absolutely. And back to... The 85 season where he hit 24 home runs. So he stole 80 bases. He stole 80 bases that year. That season, he became the first player in Major League history to reach 80 stolen bases and hit 20 home runs in a season. And he did it again in, in 80. He did it again the next year in 86, which also Eric Davis of the Reds did that as well. And they are the only two players in Major League history to have. 2080 seasons, you know, 20, 20 home runs, 80 steals. So they're part of the 2080 club. Like there's a there's a 30-30 club, there's a 40-40 mm-hmm. club. Ricky Henderson, Eric Davis are part of the 2080 club, you know. <laughs> so that's unique. And, you know, he led the league, like I said, A6, he led the league in sole base with 87 and scored 130 runs, which, you know, also led the league. But 87, he gets injured, right? He had a below-average season by his standards. He only played 95 games, you know, and he does not lead the league in steals. He finishes the 87 season with 41 steals, which by Ricky standards, that's low. And it didn't help the fact that he got to, let's see, you know, Let's see, he had a below average season. So he had a below average season and it fueled criticism from the New York media, which had never co- covered Ricky Henderson or his interests kindly. So, of course, New York, you know, the, the media is a little more serious. Okay. The media is more serious. They don't really get Ricky Henderson, they don't really like his interests. And George Steinbrenner, who we've devoted two episodes to in this podcast, you can check him out later issued a press release claiming that manager Lou Pinella wanted to trade Henderson for Jack Jaking it, which is basically... You know, lazy, going through the motions. Yeah, it's a baseball term for playing lackadaisically. Even playing lackadaisically had one of the best seasons of his career with on-base percentage-wise, 423, batted 291, you know, fifth in the league in stolen bases, even though it was a bad season for him. Yeah, I mean... That's, by his standards, it was bad. 
you know, if any player gets 41 steals, that's impressive. But Let alone, this is only in 95 games, and he also hit 17 home runs. Right. I mean, he still produced, even though he only played 95 games because he was hurt. And, of course, you can, you can, watch, you can watch more about it in the, the Stark Raving Sports uh, video about Henderson. It goes into more detail about it because apparently uh, Ricky and Luke Phelps did not get along at this point. I think there's a 30 for 30 about it too, right? I'm sure there is. Um, but here's the thing. And so Harold Reynolds, Mr. You know, MLB Network guy, and before that baseball tonight, he led the American League in steals that year with 60. And this was the only time that between 1980 and 1991 that Ricky did not lead the league in steals. This is what I had pulled up next. You want to tell it? Because it's it's funny. Because I've heard Harold, I've seen a video of Harold telling that story. It's hilarious. So why, why don't you tell Patrick? Um, really, I've just got a quote from it. And he's just like, hey, he's telling the story. Um, he had a league in 60. And it's just, the phone rings. Henderson here. And uh, he goes, hey, what's going on, Ricky? I think he's calling graduating, but he goes, 60 stolen bases? You ought to be ashamed. Ricky would hit 60 at the break. And then he just hung up on him. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ricky always spoke to himself as uh, Ricky. Yeah, he spoke in third person. He did it all the time. If you ask Ricky how many bases he stole last night, Ricky would say that Ricky stole seven. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and Ricky, and so the next year, Ricky reclaims the lead in steals with 93. And he was third run score of 118. So, you know, back up by his standards, and he hit 305. So he's, you know, back to Ricky standards, you know. And even though he – so in 89 was his last year in New York, and he played half a season before we gained trade to the A's. And even though he was only in New York for four and a half seasons, he set the Yankees franchise record with 326 stolen bases in the previous – High was set by Hal Chase, who played for the Yankees when they were known as the New York Highlanders back in the old days. And Hal Chase had a record with 248 steals. So Hal Chase played for the Yankees for like eight seasons, eight, nine seasons, something like that. And he only stole 248 bases at a time. Ricky used to play for the Yankees in four and a half seasons, and he broke that record with 326. And he, he held that record until 2011 when Derek Jeter surpassed him. Jeter played 1,700 more games. Extra games. Right. You know, <laughs> it took him like 1,700 plus games to, to pass him at that point. While, you know, Ricky did it in a short amount of time. So now in the midseason of 1989, Ricky Harrison gets traded back to the A's. The A's were just like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have traded Ricky. Let's get Ricky back. And Ricky comes back to the A's, and this is great because Tony LaRusse is the manager, who we bring up so much in this podcast. He's very important in the managerial process of baseball as it's known today yeah. because he's been through it for decades. Right. One day he'll get his own his own episode. But Tony LaRusse is the is – He has to go three years without a DUI before he can have an episode. Right. <laughs> Oh, man. So he's the manager <laughs> of the A's. And the A's are a great team. They made it to the World Series last the last season, and they lost to the Dodgers in five games. Of course, everybody remembers Kirk Gibson's home run that new series. 89, yep. 89, they're, they're better. They win the American League pennant again. 
and they got their team of stats. I mean, Ricky joined the team with, obviously, Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco on that team, former Huntsville Stars. You had Dave Stewart as a pitcher, who was also from Oakland. You had Terry Steinbeck, played for the Stars. Uh, just countless guys, you know, the team was stat- – oh, Dennis Eckersley as the closer. Eck, you know, I mean, Eck's a character. They're just stacked with they're they're a stacked team, and he is he joins the team, and it's like oh heck yeah, probably the best team they've had since yeah, they, except for maybe a couple years in the nineties that had good little good runs, but yeah, and so you know, even though he played, you know he, um, you know he led the league in steals again with. You know, he played I mean, with, with two different teams. He led the league in steals with 77 steals and in walks with 126. And in runs scored with 113. So, again, another great Ricky year in 150 games, you know, all together. Another great season for Ricky. And that season, he, as I guess more of a uh, milestone for Nolan Ryan, Ricky Henderson was Nolan Ryan's 5,000 strikeout <laughs> in his career. And he was honored. Like, you know, he he felt honored to be his 5,000th career strikeout. He later said, if you haven't been struck out by Nolan Ryan, you're nobody. <laughs> you know, and he just... And then you go to the – so they made the playoffs. They The 89 playoffs, they faced the Blue Jays, right? And there's another video by Foolish Baseball that goes in depth about Ricky's 1989 ALCS performance against the Blue Jays because he basically torches the Blue Jays. You know, I mean, you know, he was the MVP of the ALCS. He had eight steals in five games. He hit 400 while scoring eight runs and delivered two home runs and five RBIs and seven walks and a 1,000 slugging percentage. Right, He just dominated the Jays in the ALCS. And like I said, if you want to know more about that in depth, you go watch Foolish Baseball's video about the 89 ALCS. It's called Let's Watch Ricky Henderson Play or something like that. Watch Ricky Henderson Play Baseball. Is that on YouTube? It's on YouTube, yeah. The, 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 the channel's called Foolish Baseball. The video's like, let's watch our gamers and play baseball, something like that. It's a really good video. My brother, Josh, introduced me to it, and I was like, this is awesome. And so now they play the San Francisco Giants in the 89 World Series, and everybody remembers the 89 World Series is about the earthquake. It's the earthquake series, right? Game, you know, game three is about to start, and then bam, the earthquake happens. But, you know, he did well. In the series, he hit 474 with an 895 slugging average with two triples and a home run, and he stole three three more bases. So he stole three bases. So get him, get him on, get him over, get him in. Right. He contributed greatly to the A's nineteen eighty nine World Championship. And so nineteen ninety, you know, they make the you know, he has another great year. You know, what can you expect from Ricky at this point? Another great season. He reached safely by a hit or by a walk in 125 in his 136th game played that year. And once again, he led the league in run score of 119, stolen base 65, on base percentage with 439, and OPS, which is on base plus slugging, which one which is 1.016. 
And he was second in the league in slugging percentage for 577. Fourth in walks, 97. I mean, you know, he had a great year. And he won the NAL MVP that year. He, he finally got his MVP award. You know. And so he led the A's to another pennant. And he did well in the World Series. He had 333 and stole three bases with a 667 slugging percentage and home run. But the A's got swept by the Reds. The Reds were the underdogs that year, and the A's got swept. You know, nobody saw that coming. But of course, now we get to 1991. And this is, you know, the milestone. This is one of the best milestone years in his career. Because this is the year that he passes Lou Brock on the all-time steals list. Lou Brock had the you know career stolen base record with 938. And in the Stark Raven Stark Sports hour-long video about Ricky Henderson, it talks about how Lou Brock, he was all for Ricky passing his record. He wanted to see Ricky pass his record to pass him. And I think he, you know, I think after he broke the single season uh, steals record, Lou said to Ricky, so how are we going to break this thing? Referencing his all-time steals record. How are we going to do it? You know, And Rock was just encouraging when he broke the record in May of 1991. And Lou Brock was there in Oakland. It was at home, at the Coliseum, and he broke the record. And he said, he gave a little, like he stole third base. That was, the, you know, that was his steal. And he gave a speech, and of course, I'm sure it's on YouTube. You can watch it. And, you know, he says, you know, Luke Rock was the greatest base dealer, but today I am the greatest of all time. Thank you. And loud applause. And it was a great, you know, it was a great year for Ricky Henderson, man. I mean, he was just, you know, he was just in happy. He was in heaven. He, he's got the stolen base record. You know, and once again, he led the league in steals with 58 this time. But again, didn't matter because, you know, he led the league in steals. And sure, it wasn't in the, you know, it wasn't very, it, by Ricky standards, it wasn't that high. But still, he led the league in steals. He got the record. And then 92, he doesn't lead the league in steals. He only steals 48 bases. In fact, he doesn't lead the league in anything. That season, which is surprising, you know, you get all these all these seasons. You're leading league in something. He doesn't lead league in anything in '92, and then '93 he plays part of the season in Oakland, and he gets traded to the Toronto Blue Jays, the defending World Series champs. And so '93, you know, he plays in Oakland for 90 games, and then he gets traded to the Toronto Blue Jays. And the Blue Jays, you know, they won the World Series the previous year. And they win, they win the American League pennant again. And this team is stacked, you know. They got Joe Carter on the team. They got, I'm trying to remember some guys now. It's been a while. <laughs> and we can add that part out. But they, they're, they're a great team, you know. And everybody remembers Joe Carter hitting that home run off Mitch Williams in the Game 6 of the 93 World Series. Ricky Henderson was on base. He got on base with a walk. You know, and Joe Carter hits that home run, and Ricky even knew it. Like, Ricky knew it was going to be out before it actually went out. Like, when he was rounding the bases, there's video of this, and he's, like, doing a fist pump. like Or, like, he was jumping up. He's doing something. Like, he knew it was out. 
He knew it was gone. Right. <laughs> and so Ricky gets his second World Series ring with the Blue Jays in 93. So the band's okay. got two World yeah, Series. You're talking about the 93 roster. They had Paul Molitor, yeah. Joe Carter, um, Ed Sprague. Yep. Tony Fernandez, yeah, Robbie just, Alomar, yeah, really. John Olrude, yeah, helmet, yep, yeah, helmet, <laughs> All right, so coming off of that World Series championship, Ricky re-signed for the third time with Oakland mm -hmm. for 1994, where he had a decent average, and I'll let Matthew get into a little bit more of that. Yeah, so just like Billy Martin and the Yankees, you know, Oakland at the Oakland A's just could not quit Ricky Henderson, you know? So he comes back for a third stint, and in the strike-shortened year of 1994, Ricky played 87 games, and he had 22 steals, which, you know, it's multiple multiple steals, but, you know, Ricky's 30, is, is 35-year-old season. You know, he's getting up there in age. He was also top 10 in the league in walks and OBP. Yeah, I mean, but he's still producing. Like, he's still getting on base and doing his thing. And then 1995, the next season, he's still with the A's. And he hit for exactly 300, which was the sixth time in his career that he hit for a 300 average. And it was the last time he hit for 300. So, you know, and he stole 32 bases, which was a 10-base improvement. And he's, the, you know, still in top 10 in a lot of categories. You know, he's still producing. And then 1996, he gets traded to the San Diego Padres. And he played, you know, in Oakland, you know, in the 95 season, he only played 112 games with the A's. And with the Padres, 96, he played 148 games. And he stole 37 bases, you know. But his average, he was sitting like 241. So, not great, but he had 125 walks to 90 strikeouts. So, you know, he's getting on base. He's doing his thing. If Billy Bean, if he was on the A's with Billy Bean's A's, you know, He'd be getting on base. Billy Bean would be thrilled about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you realize who his coach was with the 96 Padres? I didn't realize this man ever coached the Padres. Who? Bruce Bochy. I knew that. Yeah. He was the Padres manager before he was the Giants manager. Yeah. Yeah. So he was, you know, Bochy, Bo yeah, Bochy coached him, managed him. How many World Series does Bochy have? Uh, two? No, he's got three. three. 2010, 2012, 2014. Okay. So he was, he was on the ultimate year. He, yeah. He was on all three of those. Excuse me. And then 97, he played 80, uh, Ricky played 88 games for the Padres, and then he got traded to the Anaheim Angels, which was the first year 
they were known as the Anaheim Angels because many years they were the Los Angeles Angels and the California Angels. And now they're the Anaheim And they hit some more razzle-dazzle on it later down the road in the Los Angeles Angels of Stockton, yeah. of Anaheim, of <laughs> Portland, of California. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know. And he steals 45 bases in between the two teams, 29 with San Diego and 16 with Anaheim. His Anaheim stint, at least batting average-wise, wasn't very good. He had 183 with Anaheim compared to 274 with San Diego, altogether with 248 average that year. But, you know, he's, like I said, he's 38, you know, but he's still producing. He's still getting on base, doing his thing. 98, he goes back to the A's for the fourth time. The A's love Ricky Henderson more than Bobby Brown loved Craig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. And in his swan song with the A's, he played in 152 games. And he stole 66 bases. He led the league, led the American League with 66 bases, uh, stolen bases, and with 118 walks. This was the last time that Ricky led the league in stolen bases. And last time he hit, like, the last time he stole over 50 bases in a season. You know. And, you know, 118 walks was the last time he had over 100 walks in a season. He also struck out 114 times, so... Not too great. He hit two thirty six, but you know, and he also that year um, became the oldest player to ever lead the league in stolen sacks, mm-hmm. and the oldest player to reach fifty sacks. So, sacks meaning stolen bases. On yeah, that second part. Um, and I feel like really after this season is where he started his year to year holding on to the tail end of that career. Not sure. Not sure how he was financially, you know, but I think the last few paychecks kind of, I thought that's where he starts telling off as a major leaguer. Yeah, I mean, 99, he's with the A, oh, sorry, he's with the New York Mets in 121 games. He stole 37 bases and he had 315, well, time out, he had 315. 37 sacks. At 37 sacks, yeah. So I thought this was his last time. Hitting 300, but I stand corrected. He hit 300 with the Mets, and, and he played 121 games. So I, I, I apologize for that. I thought uh, in 95 was the last time he hit 300, but he really hit. There's a weird thing about that season also. He got named Comeback Player of the Year. He never went away. No, I mean. You know, like I thought that was generally reserved for people who got injured. He never really went away or got hurt. You know, he just but, came back and had a good year. But it's like he led the league in stolen bases and – walks the year before, you know, you saw the flashes of old Ricky, even though he was pushing 40 at that point. And I guess that's it. They were kind of come back to your age 27 year. Like, yeah, they're looking at like, Oh, you hit 315. Okay. Come back later in the year. Maybe there wasn't a good poll. Like maybe there was a good poll of uh, nominees for comeback player of the year. And they're like, well, Ricky Henderson's 40 and he's doing that well at 40 years old. He could be comeback player of the year. There's another fun fact about that season with the Mets. He um, wore number 24. It hadn't been retired yet. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew it was going to be. That was um, Willie Mays' number. Um, if you, you know, if you played for the Giants, but... yeah, I yeah. think I think the Mets have since retired it, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so too. Yeah, um, but they lost in the NLCS, and they made a card game. Made um, the press made a big issue about a game between Ricky Henderson and Bobby Bow. <laughs> Because they got substituted out of the lineup and they reportedly left the dugout before the game had been concluded. So they were in the back playing 
I don't know, talk or something against each other. And like, apparently <laughs> the media made a big deal about that. Yeah, they were taking a shower and watching it in the locker room. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, they they, they talked about that in the, the Stark Raven Sports video about how they just left. And, Bobby O'Neill is still getting paid for that game. Yep, he's still getting paid. <laughs> just for that series, he's still getting paid for that. Good old Bobby Bonilla day coming up soon. But um, By the way, if I ever need an agent at anything in my life, I want his agent. Yeah. And, of course, this probably led to um, bad blood between Ricky and the Mets management, you know, the Wilpon family. And so he only played – so the next season, 2000, he only played 31 games for the Mets before being traded to the Seattle Mariners. And, you know, in the, with the Mariners, he's back being managed by Lupinella, which, you know, if you remember from 1987, and Lou had a little spat, they didn't get along. Am I getting Lupinella confused with somebody, or is he managing a team this year? No, Lupinella's retired. Okay, but somebody that was retired, very I, I correlate with the Lupinella era, is managing a team this year. I can't remember who it is. Well, it's not Larusa. He did that. Is last it year. um? Oh. Different story. I'll figure it out later. Me and Matt talk off the record on this one. Yeah, because now I gotta think. Um, you know, this whole office has been crazy. Whatever it's about the strike, and I don't know, and Freddie going to the Dodgers. You know. Can't remember everything happened out of the soft season other than the strike of the Freddie Freeman. But anyway, Quick pause on the Freddie Freeman thing. Did you see the interview with Acuna that was on um, was it Facebook Live or Twitter Live or something yesterday? No, no. What happened? Him and Freddie did not get along in the clubhouse. So the guy interviewing him asked him, "How'd you feel about Freddie leaving?" And he's like, "I mean, it really doesn't affect me." He's like, "So you and Freddie weren't friends?" He's like, "No, we didn't talk. Freddie didn't ever make an effort to talk. None of this." So, Freddie might not be the locker room guy that everybody thought Freddie was. Yeah. You know, maybe there's something behind that big smile. And there might also be something behind that franchise player tag where you got that elitist yeah. mentality. And when I worked in the minor leagues, there was a couple guys with that because they had big signing bonuses. Oh, yeah. You know, and the yep. team, the club values me more than you kind of stuff, you know. So, Freddie just got his ring and bounced to L.A., you know. But I hate to hear that, man, because everybody in Braves country – he did I just always lot, loved him. He did a lot for Braves country, you know. But now they have Matt Olson at first base, so hopefully he, he does well. Statistically, they're very comparable. And it gave the Braves room to bring in a stellar closer. So let's see what happens to the Braves. Fingers crossed. And yeah, um, in the Mariners, man. His second game as a Mariner. Lead-off home run. It made him the second – wait, the first or second? Third player to hit a home run in four different decades. That's right. And one, uh, he and Ted Williams, and I can't think of the third one off the top of my head. We'll have to look it up later. But definitely him and Ted Williams. And William McCovey. William McCovey, yes, our fellow Alabamian. So, you know, and all three are home. And Omar Vizquel. Omar Vizquel, okay. Has done it since, in 2010. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, four guys. So, all the other, he's one of four players to hit home runs in four decades in Major League Baseball. Another fun fact about the Mariners, he started that season for what, what did we say, uh, 31 games in New York? Yeah, 31 games with the Mets, yeah. Um, he's, he finished fourth in the American League with 31 um, stolen bases that year. Yeah, I mean, so with, with 31 missing games out of the schedule. Right, so that's top five, you know, top ten. In- so I might have misspoken earlier when I said he was hanging on. Right. But then 2001 – this is where what I said earlier starts to. <laughs> right. This is compared to like 10 years earlier, 91, where he broke Lou Brock's record, uh, the stolen base, all time career stolen base record. This 
he's breaking records and, and set you know and, and joining clubs this year. He plays in 123 games with the Padres. He's with the Padres now again. You know they're kind of like the A's. They can't get they can't get can't get enough Ricky. You know. Correct me if I'm wrong. Not to not Ricky. He's one of the most electric baseball players to ever play. Yeah. He's starting to hit these milestones of I've played the game long enough at the right speed to hit these milestones. Yeah. It, it's. I, mean, I, I put in the dues to get these milestones. I've been here long enough yeah. where these are starting to trickle in. I mean, compared to, like, the only big injury season he had was the 1987 season where he only played 95 games. You know, he basically kept himself in shape and, you know, kept just being consistent, being Ricky. Ricky being Ricky, you know. But 2001, this was like, this was one of the best seasons he ever had. I mean, he broke Babe Ruth's all-time career walks record. Which has since been passed by Barry Bonds. It was 2062, and Barry Bonds probably had damn near that intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, but. And he broke Ty Cobb's all time career run scored record 2245. Yeah. Big number. And on the final game of the season, he joins the 3,000 hit club. You know, he gets his 3,000 career hit on the final day of the 2001 season. And originally, Ricky was not going to play that game because it was Tony Gwynn's last game. He was, you know, he was retiring after that season. It was his last game yeah. with Padre. And uh, Mr. Mr. Padre told him, no, man, we're both playing. Absolutely. Tony Gwynn insisted that Ricky play. And he said, okay. And then Ricky got three thousand fit that game. I mean, you can't, you can't script a perfect closing day of the Major League season. I bet I bet Rovell has seventeen of those ticket stubs in his house. You know, I'm talking about uh, the ESPN guy that's oh oh yeah, Rovell always bragging about all the fancy collectibles. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I bet he's got seventeen of those tickets. I'd love to have a stub. Oh yeah. <laughs> There's also another record he broke that year that we missed. It, uh, he broke a guy named Zach Wheat's record of 2,328 career games played on left field. Um, Zach Wheat, nicknamed Buck, obviously Buck Wheat. Yep. Um, he was a left. He was a left fielder from 1909 to 1927, mostly with the Dodgers, mm-hmm. who at the time were the Robins. Mm-hmm. And he played 18 seasons in Brooklyn, and he played his final season with the Philly A's, who we mentioned both of these teams several times. Yep. Um, career average: 317, 2,884 hits, 132 dingers, and 1,248 ribbies. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he, he was a 1959 Veterans Committee inductee of the. A Hall of Fame. And he still, and we own still a bunch of Dodgers records since the day. So, you know, well deserved Hall of Fame career. Well, that was cool. I did not know that. Um, so, 2002 rolls around and he is with the Boston Red Sox. And he signed as a free agent with the Red Sox and he became the oldest player to play center field in Major League history. When he replaced Johnny Damon for three games in April and another in July. He's 43 years old at the start of the season. I refuse to recognize Johnny Damon as anything other than a Red Sox. Yeah, when he's time with the Yankees, and he, he began his career with the Royals, too. Yeah. yeah. He was an all-star with the Royals before he went to the Red Sox. That's right. They made him cut his hair, and he went to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> yeah. Good being Hall of Fame, man. Anyway. But that's really that's a really cool stat to be the oldest center fielder in the history of the game. Yeah. Has that been passed since, or is he still holding that? I believe he – I believe he still holds that. And the funny thing is, at the time, in his Red Sox, 
in between Ricky's debut in 1979 to the end of 2001 season, Ricky Henderson himself had more stolen bases than the Red Sox as a whole as a team. At the time, he had 1395, 1395 steals, and the Red Sox only had 1,382 steals in between those two se- you know, in those seasons. That's insane. That is an insane stat. <laughs> Excuse me. And, of course, Red Sox passed him on April 30th of 2022. Of just, I'm sorry, of 2002. They finally passed him. It's, 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 it's hard to believe that it's 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago, man. It's hard to believe. Time flies, man. We were, you know, we were finishing up elementary school, you know, around this time. About to go to middle school, you know. That's hard to believe, man. And so, he was the oldest player in the American League that year, 43 years old. Yeah, he is nuts. But he stayed, I mean, he's a fit guy, man. You know, he stayed in shape. I bet he still is. I believe so. I don't think he's gained much weight. It's like, um, got a guy that, Played a very brief practice squad stint in the NFL that works for a competing beer company that I see out in Fort Payne and Scottsboro a lot. Yeah. And it's like, it's been like six years since he played pro ball and he's still just, I could go sack Tom Brady right now. So yeah. You know, <laughs> he, was, he was a practice squad guy, you know, but he's just got that build to him. It's wild how these professional athletes maintain that. And I guess it takes a certain regiment to even get there, let alone work ethic. And I feel like that's going to carry over you. Oh, yeah. Life. And so, 2003, I guess the Red Sox released him after the season. He begins without a team. He didn't have a team, a major league team to play. So, he signed up. The future Hall of Famer went and played indie ball, man. Yeah, with the Newark Bears of the Atlantic League. Hoping for a chance, you know, hoping to get another chance with the major legalization. And he was named, during the season, he was named the Atlantic League All-Star Game MVP. <laughs> and because of that, and all the media attention of him playing indie ball, the Dodgers signed him over the All-Star break. And he played 30 games with the Dodgers in 2003, and he had 15 hits and three stolen bases, and he hit 208. So that is how, you know, Ricky ends his major league career. And he played his last game that season on September 19th. His last at bat, he was hit by a pitch. And he came around to score his 2,295th run. And that is his last, you know, that is his final total for runs scored. You know, he still holds the record with, you know, 2,295. And of it's going to be a tough record to catch up to. It, it's going to be very, you're going to have to play about as long as Ricky Henderson and stay healthy and get on base as much as Ricky Henderson. He has a really cool quote about that. And we got to remember, Ricky talks about Ricky in third person. I think me and Matthew might start doing that. <laughs> Just to see how if it catches on. But. Why not? Yeah. But Ricky's quote about this. Each and every day, I set a record, but we'll never we never talk about it. We'll talk about a home run here 24-7. Well, they haven't broken any all-time records, but they hit homers. And that's what matters nowadays. You continue playing, you accomplish a lot. And you'd think people would look at it as a fantastic career. Instead, Ricky thinks people want Ricky to quit more than anything. End quote. Yeah. That's kind of heavy, man. Like, I've been here long enough. I'm doing all this stuff. Nobody wants to acknowledge me because everybody's worried about, you know, who was the big hitters in 2002? A-Rod and Barry. Um, Barry at that time. 
You know, um, he had played with the Maguires probably twice. Yeah, so yeah. he's still around. You know, um, um, Brian Roberts. I mean, not. oh, so yeah, he gives he gives but um, but you know, even though he no longer played in the major league, he stopped playing in 2003. He still plays for you know he comes back to Newark and plays for the Bears for a second season in 2004, and you know he played 91 games with the Newark Bears, and he had you know 96 walks compared to 41 strikeouts, and he stole 37 bases while only being caught twice, you know. And he had a 462 on base percentage, which, I mean, dude's still producing. I mean, sure, you know, he's played independent minor league baseball, but he's kick, he's still kicking ass in, in his 40s, you know, like 40, 40, oh, it's 45, you know, 45 season, you know. He's Man. still. And it gives me the vibe of a guy that was not done with baseball and is going to be like, you baseball, yeah. I can still play. I can still play. And you're going to leave me out here. I'm going to keep playing as long as I can. And that's what he did. And then the next year, excuse me, he signed with the San Diego Surf Dogs of the Golden Baseball League, another independent baseball team. And, you know, this was the Surf Dogs' first ever season. Yeah, it was in the Golden Baseball League, which I've never heard of. I um, vaguely heard of it. I'm not sure. They were founded in 2004. Inaugural was 95. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he helped. Hit, Ricky helped lead the, lead the team to a league championship that year. You know, and he played 73 games with the Surf Dogs. It had a 456 OBP with 73 walks and struck out 43 times. It's 16 steals to being only caught twice. And this was his final major leagues, uh, final professional baseball season as a player. I think Jose. Damn, Indy League, man. They must have decent pitching because they struck him out more than the Matrix ever could. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then um, I think also Jose Canseco played for the Surf Dogs later, too, or earlier, but a little later on. But We don't talk about Jose Canseco on this podcast, sir. Why not? He, he's a topic that we do need to go into. He needs to be his own episode. I just despise him because of his book. Yeah. And you own it. Yeah. Yeah. I had to do my two justice and read it before I could hate the man as much as I do, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to say hate. Hate's a big word. Yeah. Despise. Dislike. And he's basically, you know, he's he did not accept, you know, the, he would not accept the end of his major clear major league career, you know, he's still insisting to everybody that he's capable of playing in the major leagues. But of course, major leagues were just like, dude, we don't want you, man. (laughs) You know, that's why you're playing indie ball. And eventually, so in 2006, he accepted a position as a hitting instructor for the Mets. You know, so he, he goes to being a coach. And then finally, in 2007, he admits the inevitable and finally you know, made his official retirement for Major League Baseball on July 15, 2007. And he says, and I quote, I haven't submitted retirement papers to MLB, but I think MLB already had their papers that I was retired. So, I guess they, <laughs> the MLB made him retire before he said he was going to retire, you know. Uh, but again, you know, he's with the Mets. 
you know, he, he got hired as a special instructor to work with hitters and, and teach base dealing. And his impact, you know, was noticed on Jose Reyes, who was a former leadoff player, leadoff hitter and outfielder for the Mets. Wow, he was on the cover of a couple of video games, you know. He was the man back in the day. Yeah. Kind of fell off the face of the earth, though, real quick. Yeah. And Ricky has a quote about his coaching. I always want to be around the game. That's something that's in my blood. Helping them have success feels just as good. And then in 2007, uh, on July 13, 2007, the same day that he announced his official retirement from playing, the Mets promoted him to special instructor, from special instructor to first base coach, replacing Howard Johnson, who became the hitting coach. And unfortunately, he was not retained as coach by the Mets for 2008. But, you know, he's still been a special, over time, he's been a special instructor for the A's during the pre-training camps. And he worked, um, in 2010, he worked with uh, ace players Rajay Davis and Coco Crisp on base stealing and outfield drills. And, of course, in 2009, that's the big moment, Ricky Henderson gets elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. First ballot, first ballot guy. I think he had, let me go back up. He got in on first ballot with 94.81% of the vote. So, you know, 90 percentile range. I love something that he said in his Hall of Fame speech. Yeah. Because Ricky is cocky. We all know Ricky's cocky. Yeah. But is it really cocky if you can back it up? No. You know what I mean? Ricky right. knows what Ricky is. And I'm going to talk like Ricky because Ricky only talks, and talks about Ricky when he says Ricky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, it's, like, it's like that old Dizzy Deep quote they always said about stuff. He ain't. You know, it ain't bragging if it's true or something like that. Exactly. You no. Know. But at the same time, he hit the headspace. But at his, uh, no. let's see, let me find this again. Uh, so he got elected with Joe Gordon and Jim Rice. So. Yeah. And at his induction, he said, I love this. I love Ricky quotes. I believe today, and people say I'm crazy, but if you gave me as many at bats that you would give the runners out there today, I would outstill every last one of them. They can always ring my phone. I'll come on down and help their ball club. That's how much I love the game. You want to learn how to steal bases? Call Ricky. That's right. 1-800-RICKY. You know? <laughs> that, that, that's his mentality. That's his mentality. I love it. Oh, man. And, you know. Because I, 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 I'm a competitor. Mm-hmm. And I love a guy that's that kind of a competitor. Yeah. And there's just, you know, like Tom Verducci from Sports Illustrated wrote in 2003, Ricky's final season in the majors. There are certain figures in American history who have passed into the realm of cultural mythology as if reality could no longer contain their stories. Johnny Appleseed, Wild Bill Hickok, Davy Crockett, Ricky Henderson. <laughs> they exist on the sometimes narrow margin between fact and fiction. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, just Ricky was just, you know, there's one story that we forgot to mention at the beginning or near the, you know, near his time of the A's. Which time? I want to say the first time. You know, <laughs> the first time with the A's. He got, you know, he got offered a fifth time. Yeah. He did for, well, for one day. Right. But he's and like, he said, if you're going to bring me in for one day, you might as well sign me for the rest of the year. Exactly. <laughs> there's two, uh, there's a two stories. So the first one, when he's a, when he was in high school, and you can watch this on the Stark Raving sports video about him. Um, he talks about how he had a teacher, I think in high school, who would bribe him with like, you know, would reward him with like a couple of coins, like a nickel or a quarter, 
if he did well in baseball, like if he did a certain thing, like he stole a base or got hit or whatever. This How many teacher, double? Give me a quarter. Yeah, the teacher would give him like would give him like a, a quarter or something like that. Something you know to encourage him to you know do well in baseball. You know, do good because we all knew he had talent. I mean, the guy was a multi-star athlete in high school. You know, and then the second story. I, I gotta remember the facts about this, but like he gets a million dollar check. Either the A's give him one, like uh, actually a million dollar check, and some time goes by. The bank. Oh, he held on to it. He held on to it. The, the bank says, "Hey, no." The team said, "Hey, you're gonna cash that." Yeah. He's not gonna frame it on my wall. And he did. And it's like, dude, no, you gotta cash that. <laughs> you know, I mean, he was just so excited about getting a million dollar check. You know. Which I don't blame him. I'd be excited too, but I wouldn't catch that. I wouldn't write it. <laughs> Maybe I'll make a copy of it and frame it, but then I'd cash it. But you know, just <laughs> well, back in that time period, you used to get your return checks back anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, <sighs> Ricky's just Ricky was just one. He's a one of a kind character in baseball history, and Major League Baseball and baseball history is better. You know, with Ricky Henderson being a part of it, so that's all I really got to say about Ricky Henderson. What, what, you got anything else? Oh, oh, Rick, I got, I got, I got one more cool thing from yeah. 2011 on the 20th anniversary of a stolen base record. Um, they had Ricky Henderson Papa a day at the Oakland Coliseum, mm-hmm. and they have to get his approval to use his likeness and whatnot since he's not with them anymore. And he goes, "Yeah, you can make all the lava heads you want of me." Let me see the quote here. <laughs> It says, I told them, put a little dirt on mine. Make sure that it looks like I'm playing the game. I love it. You know. Don't don't make me in that crisp clean uniform. Make me look like I played. Right, yeah. That's a winner. Yep. And of course the A's retired his number on August first, two thousand nine. And then later I want to say it was twenty sixteen, somewhere in the twenty tens, they named the field at the Open Coliseum after him, Ricky Henderson Field. At Oakland Coliseum or whatever it's called now, he's only got a couple more years of that. He's gonna hate it, right? You know, because A's Ricky A's, ain't gonna like losing Ricky Field. No, because the A's are thinking about moving to Las Vegas, like the Raiders did. Well, and they're in the middle of the deal right now. Um, it's a big thing on the news when we were in California. Um, that because some of his parents, you know, live in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah, and um, the Bay Area said they could build a new stadium, but they're like, I'm not sure if they want to at this point. You know, they took so long driving their feet to do it. It's not like we have other options. Right. Vegas is calling. <laughs> I would hate to be a baseball team in Vegas. Yeah. Or the Aviators. I, I, I just don't think it would. I just don't think it would work. Yeah. I mean, they're already having trouble with football players getting in trouble out there left and right. Imagine living there for. Eight months, nine months out of the seat, out of the year. Oh man, there's too much, too, too much, much temptation. Yeah. I mean, look what hit, what happened to Henry Ruggs. Yeah. So sad. You make that much money, you got enough money to call a car service. Yeah. Didn't have to drive. Didn't have to drive like that. Nope. Anyway, well, that's not baseball related, so we're going back. Um, that's all I got to really say about Ricky. I mean, yeah, I think we dialed in on Ricky. So we gotta say special thank you to our email. Uh, the person who emailed this is topic because Mr. Alan Woodall, who emailed us the topic of Ricky Henderson, we'd like to thank you for giving us the suggestion of Ricky. 
and you know. absolutely it's um well we've had two or three suggestions now that we've done and if anybody else has anything to send in, baseballhis101 at gmail.com. Yep. We will get to them. Um, we kind of have our next couple laid out, but we'll get to it. We'll get to you it. Know, in the next month and a half or so. Yeah. yeah. So. And it's also awesome that he's a Huntsville guy, so maybe we can meet up at a trash pants game or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even go to one last year, so I'm looking forward to going to some this year. You didn't go to one last year? Didn't have a chance. I played there before they did, though. Oh, you did? Yeah, I pitched off that mound before any trash bearings pitcher did. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, yeah, I just didn't have a time. Yeah, I mean, Halsey has is a sponsor of the trash bearings, so we get tickets. We are this year, so. Hell yeah, so hopefully they'll get tickets, you know? I mean. Well, we're not a sponsor, but I've got, I think, 46 beer cakes going there tomorrow. Well, hopefully they'll give you some tickets, you know? I mean, they give Halsey tickets, you know? I yeah. went to like four or five games. I had a blast it every time I went. One time I actually went to. Once I've actually watched a game from one of the uh, suites in the upper deck. So oh, nice. and the little Halsey party suite? Yeah. Yeah, Halsey sponsors the suites, the Halsey suites. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I got a bunch of fractal beer coming in there tomorrow. I got three pallets of beer rolling in there. Nice. So. I need to try fractal. I haven't, you know, they're one of the newest breweries in, in town. I still haven't tried them yet. Best beer in Huntsville. I've still been in the straight ale kick, man. You know, but I'll, tr- I'll try fractal, but I'm still like more straight ale guy. Let me know whatever you like from Sartell. I can get it for you. Like Bro Joe's? Bro Joe's? All day long, bro. Hell yeah, I love Bro Joe's. All right. But it's time for us to wrap this up. Yep. If y'all come to Huntsville, go to any one of the breweries we just mentioned. And um, <laughs> as always, we appreciate y'all. Please like, rate, subscribe, do all of that nonsense on any streaming platform you hear us on. We're on pretty much all of them at this point. Yeah. Um. Apple, Google, Spotify. Apple, Spotify, Apple. whatever hell Russell uses. Um, Lord of watch out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love y'all and thank y'all. Um, we really hope y'all enjoy it. Until next time, I'm Patrick. And I'm Matthew. Thank you for listening to Baseball History 101. Thanks, guys. Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, Casey was winning, Hank Aaron was beginning, one Robbie going out, one coming in. Kiner and Midget Goodell, the Thumper and Mel Parnell, and Ike was the only one winning down in Washington. I'm talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the Scooter, the Barber, and the Duke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Well, he swore he was the Oklahoma kid And 
cookie played hooky to go and see the Duke. And me, I always loved Willie Mann. Those were the days. Well, now it's the 80s, and bread is the greatest, and Bobby Bonds can play for everyone. Rose is at the vet, Rusty again is a Met, and the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington. I'm talking baseball, like Reggie Quees and Barry, talking baseball, Carew and Gaylord Terry, Seaver, Garvey, Schmidt, and by the blue. If Cooperstown is calling, it's no fluke, they'll be with Talking.